0: This time, Curtis Whiteley will come with the split sermon titled, The Power of the Tongue. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Thank you, Ken. Good afternoon. afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here. And uh, As Ken just alluded to, the title of this message today is, The Power of the Tongue. Uh, but before we get to talking about the tongue, I want to kind of do a little bit of review and kind of back up and set this, uh, you know, the, the main points of what I'm wanting to talk about today uh, by kind of just looking at how throughout time God has chosen to reveal himself through many different channels. Uh, first, God can be said to have revealed himself through his creation. This is what theologians would typically call natural revelation or general revelation. From the greater universe that we live in to the, uh, to the earth itself, the species that roam this earth, and the intricate complexities of life, and how it intertwines within the universe as a perfect and natural habitat for life. And of course, we know uh, some scientists would try to dispute this uh, with some of the things that they try to claim. This is what the Apostle Paul also spoke about when he talked about in the book of Romans, the first chapter, that man is without excuse because by nature, human beings should be able to look at the earth, the natural realm around them, and come to the conclusion that there must be a creator. But God has also revealed himself through what theologians call special revelation. In this way, God has revealed himself or take it upon himself to enter into our domain. Quite literally, entering into space and time within our earthly and physical realm to reveal and to communicate his will, his character, and his purpose. Now, most of us in here probably have a testimony to these occurrences of special revelation. They are recorded for us in the Bible. We see such examples of special revelation And things such as burning bushes, visions, dreams, talking donkeys, smoking mountains, and of course, prophets. We see that Moses, Joshua, Samuel, Elijah, Isaiah, all testify to God's special revelation to his will, to his character, and to what he wants humans to do. Then we come to the New Testament, and we are given a new way in which God has decided to reveal himself. Now, from a historical standpoint, we know that from the time of the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, and to the time of the picking up of the book of Matthew, there's approximately 400 or so years in between that period. That is often referred to as the Inter Testament. Okay, the intertestament period where there was not any word from the Lord, uh, or at least as we see it being revealed and written down as inspired scripture. It's not until John the Baptist comes on the scene in the gospel accounts that we see God is now once again picking up his communication with mankind on a special revelation basis. So if we were to go to John the first chapter, and I ask you to go there, and Brian will put that up on the screen, I want to read this very unique gospel and how it is introduced. Because there's many different things that we can talk about in this passage of scripture. But one of the ways that John is trying to reveal or trying to rather uh, communicate to his hearers is that God is now revealing himself in a new way. Albeit a way that has been predicted in the Old Testament, but it's going to be in a way that has never been done before. John, the first chapter, a very, very, very popular passage that we have all heard before, says, or opens up with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life, that was, and, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in, dar- in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, obviously what we see here is the same terminology that we find in Genesis, the first chapter, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, John is meaning for his hearers to basically have a recall. Okay, He's without argument borrowing from that first book and first uh, verse of the entire Bible in Genesis, the first chapter, verse 1. But John does not stop here he continues on and looking at verse 14, kind of skipping through a little bit. He says, And the word, that Greek word, logos, that he's talking about, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, one interesting point that needs to be made about this, and it's probably a review for most of us, is the words dwelt and glory that's used in this passage. The Greek verb here that we see dwelt is a word that means, quite frankly, or quite literally rather, something that tabernacles among us. In other words, you could say that this word pitched his tent among us. In some translations, we hear uh, it being translated as that this word that he tabernacled among us. This word, or this phrase, coupled with the words glory, is directly related to something else. Another event that most Israelites would have been familiar with. And that is when God decided to dwell with the Israelites in the wilderness. So let's go to Genesis, or rather Exodus, the 33rd chapter. I'm going to go through some more passages than I usually do today. But it's all because I think it's setting up to what we are primarily going to be talking about in just a few minutes. Exodus, the 33rd chapter, we're going to pick it up in verse 7, okay? Verse 7 says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to a tabernacle that all the people rose And each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friends and he would return to the camp but his servant Joshua the son of Nun a young man did not depart from the tabernacle so it was right here that we see that God revealed his glory to Moses face to face the other israelites got to see this glory from afar off in the history of israel as it's revealed to us in the scriptures we see that israel is going to be able to go through the events seeing God's glory as it is leading them by the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. This imagery that John is playing on is paralleling that time in history that Israel had to look at the glory of God from afar off. And now John is telling us, now God's glory is being revealed in the present and in the future in a new way, but more frankly, or more particularly, in a more intimate way. In John verse, chapter 1 verse 15, continuing on after verse 14, it says, John, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of course, this is the gospel of John, but it's talking about John the Baptist in this particular passage. Verse 16 says, In the fullness we have all received, and and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace came through Jesus Christ. Or rather, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. So here John is showing the comparison and contrast to Moses. It was Moses by whom God chose to reveal himself. It was through Moses that God chose to basically reveal his law. It was Moses who received that law, and then he would turn around and reveal that law and communicate that law to Israel. It was him, God that is, it was God that revealed his word to Moses And then, of course, Moses would proclaim it. He was an intermediary between the people and God. But now, God has come to reveal Himself in a new way, a more personal way. He has come to reveal Himself, as John in his gospel has told us, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we see that this is actually something, if we go to Hebrews real quick, Hebrews the first chapter, verse 1 through 4, we see that this new way is being verified. It says in Hebrews the first chapter, verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time, pa- times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, then he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now one thing that we can see throughout the Old Testament, other than this right here, an understanding that God's glory was revealed from afar off, was that oftentimes you would see individuals like Samuel as well as others like Nathan where there would be this idea, this phrase, this this sentiment that would go around. Is there any word from the Lord? People wanted to know what God's will was and where would they go to get that communication. They would go to the prophet the ones that were proven to be anointed by God, not anointed in the same way Jesus was anointed, but where they knew that the fruits were there, that this person truly had the Holy Spirit upon them and could truly and accurately and faithfully deliver the message that God was wanting them to have. Now we don't have that. No longer do we have to walk around, is there a word from the Lord? Where can I go? Where's our prophet? So they can tell us what God wants us to do and what God is saying and what God is thinking. We don't have that anymore because as John tells us through Jesus Christ, God has revealed Himself now, not from afar off, but in an intimate way. In a way that those who saw Him walking on this earth could personally Talk with him, could see the things that he did, could see the express image of God through Jesus because he was a radiant example or a reflection directly of God Almighty. But what do we do now? Jesus doesn't physically live on this earth, he's died, he's been crucified, he's been resurrected, and ascended. Or does he? That's the question. Does Jesus live on this earth or does he not? Now, I'm not talking about does Jesus live on this earth in the way in which the scriptures depict him living on this earth in the future as the king of all the nations. Of course, that has not taken place and has not come to pass. But how does Jesus and his, re- his glory, how is it revealed Today. Of course, we can say that we can take the Bible and say this is the Word of God, which does reveal God's glory. It reveals and is a testimony of the things that God has done. But Jesus does live on this earth by means of us. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 13 through 16, I'll just paraphrase it. Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the earth. So a common example that we've heard before, we are to act like salt in a decaying world, and we are to represent light, who Jesus, as the greater light, we are literally being reflectors of that greater light. We are Jesus' representations on this earth. And that's what we were destined to do from the beginning. Out of all the creation that has been created, Human beings, their destiny was to represent and be the representation of the Creator on this earth. Howbeit, things did not go as, uh, you know very well in the Garden of Eden and with with Adam and Eve. But we do know that the purpose is getting back to that faithful representation of God through the reconciliation that Jesus has provided. Second Corinthians the fifth chapter, verse 20 through 21. As I said, I'm reading a lot more passages than I usually do. But it says, "Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for He made him who know no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him." Ambassadors for Christ. That's nothing new for us. We have heard that passage. That passage has been something that has probably been imprinted upon many of our hearts and minds as it's been used throughout our heritage here in the Church of God. Ambassadors is this Greek word that means presbyo and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but basically to the meaning of to be a senior that is by implication act as a representation. This word is usually used as an elder who was experienced and served on behalf of, to represent a king from one country to another. And we see in our world today, we have ambassadors. We have American ambassadors that are stationed in certain areas of the world to be the representation for our country to another country or to another political sovereign structure. So we are acting in this life on behalf of God as representatives of the King of Heaven with God working through us as He does His will in this world in spite of what is happening and going on around us. That's what we are called to do. And it sounds like cliché, I guess you could say. It kind of sounds like, well, of course. But that is something that I wanted to discuss as I set up what I really want to get to today, and that is asking the question the power of the tongue. What does the tongue have anything to do with what I'm talking about here? Well obviously we are living in some very uncertain times. We have been for quite a while and we all know this. The events that have unfolded in the past week and before them up until this day has left many of us very uncertain. Our fellow Americans, ourselves, our neighbors, people around the world Anger, maybe, is a feeling that some of us have and people around the world have. Confusion and vengeful. Of some of the evils that have taken place among us, and of course, when I say among us, I mean to fellow human beings, to people that live in 2015 like me and you live. By now, most of us have probably seen the videos, probably seen pictures of some of the horrific events that have taken place in the aftermath, and I'm speaking of course of what took place in Paris and and, and other places, and in the process of just over seven days, most of us have probably also seen sharp disagreement among people, among fellow Americans, among fellow Oklahomans, among fellow neighbors, and even among fellow Christians. And I will admit, I am unequivocally and unequipped and uninformed and too inexperienced to solve any of these world issues or any of these domestic issues. So, I want to be very clear about what I am not suggesting to myself or to any of us today with what we're talking about. I am not suggesting to you an answer to these issues outside of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. I am not telling you what your opinion should be, how you should think, or what position or positions you should hold. And even though the title of my message is The Power of the Tongue, I am not telling you to be silent. My goal is simple today. I'm wanting to warn us all of the dangers of the tongue not to refrain from using it but using it but to use it wisely righteously and constructively and in particular in a way that faithfully represents the one that lives in us so let's go to James the 3rd chapter and let's look and see what James has to say about this very interesting Things that James has to say, we actually don't have enough time to cover all the things he has to say about the tongue and about speech, but I want to break in in the mid-context. And in James, the third chapter, verse 7, James says this, a pretty striking sentence or a phrase or, or a couple of passages that James spouts off here. He says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the same or in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought to not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. And so I want to look at that first verse, this first couple of verses, verse 7 through 8. And it's interesting because James is telling us what, you know, in the beginning, what is humans or what is humanity's birthright and what is their responsibility and duty? And that is to basically subdue all creation. You know, we can go back to Genesis the 20, or first chapter, verse 27, and we see that God created humans, man, in his own image and in his own likeness. And it's the only part of creation that has been given that. And we kind of already touched upon that, about being a part of God's representation on this earth. But in the process of doing that, what comes along with being in the image of God and in the likeness of God is the responsibility that God has given to human beings to tame or to subdue the rest of creation. And not only subdue and tame it and have dominion over it, to be a steward over it. To be an orderly principle over it, so to speak. And we've seen humans have done that. It's interesting. We look at all the creatures that roam this earth. Some of the most ferocious beasts there are. Lions, tigers, bears, alligators. And all of them have been subdued by human beings. Now, of course, there are some that are out in the wild still. But God has given mankind the intellectual capacity to understand how to train. I mean, we can, you know, you can go to a circus and, and see lions, you know, the king of the jungle, so to speak, doing tricks. We can see human beings uh, teach parrots to talk, monkeys to draw or play a basketball or something, or, you know, just as, you know, we can even probably go home today, if many of us have dogs, and probably can have an example of this, we can teach an animal to fetch, something as simple as that. There's a demonstration, and it seems impossible, human beings being able to tame or subdue this part of creation, but mankind has been able to do that. But then in verse 8, he starts talking about the inability for humans to tame another species. And I say another species because James almost presents the tongue as being its own species in and of itself. And this is where we look at the power of the tongue. Look at what James says about it in verse, verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Notice how James, again, links the, the tongue as it is a species itself. And just as dangerous, if not more, than all of those other beasts that we might think of or might come to mind when he talks about all the beasts, or all the creatures, all the reptiles, all the birds, all the creatures of the sea the passage says that it is an unruly evil it is uh, other translations uses the phrase a restless evil and not only that it's full of deadly poison and we know that if you were to look at psalm 140th chapter verse 3 the psalmist says they make their tongue and this is talking about evil ones as sharp as a serpent's the poison of vipers is on their lips So we have to ask the question, what is it about the tongue that makes it so dangerous? I think we could spend a long time, personally, I think many of us could actually probably admit, me, myself, the most probably, of examples of how dangerous the tongue and how much it can get us into trouble. The tongue can be a dangerous tool and a dangerous weapon. I think one of the great dangers of the tongue is the fact that despite its smallness, despite its size, it's just a tongue, it's just your mouth. The effects of the tongue can be very, very great. Let's just think about it. I'm just kind of going, giving you some examples that's in the context of James himself, or his, uh, uh, his chapter here in chapter 3. He gives a, an example of a horse, this mighty, large animal. But yet, the small bit that fits in their mouth is what directs and controls this animal. Large ships directed by small pieces called the rudder. A forest fire, oftentimes caused by the smallest spark. And just to give you an illustration of this, as I was reading some material to uh, prepare for this message today, I came across an article by an individual by the name of Bob Deffenbaugh. And he was talking about this passage and just giving some illustrations. And I thought this was a very interesting one. And it was about when he was uh, traveling through Montana one year And uh, there were all these forest fires that were taking place in the area or, you know, within that state that he was traveling in. And later on, he had found out from a friend that might have lived there, uh, I'm not sure, I'd have to go back and look at that, that the origin of this fire, how it took place, how it started, was that a grasshopper had jumped onto a hot muffler of a vehicle, an exhaust pipe, and then caught on fire and jumped off. And it's amazing how they can, you know, through they can pinpoint some of these things, uh, jumped off and of course hit the ground. And that is what started one of these great forest fires. From a grasshopper being on fire from jumping on an exhaust pipe to an entire forest raging in fire. Pretty significant if you look at that illustration. You know, another thing that you can think about is that the tongue can damage at a distance. Let's think about weapons. Let's think about throwing a punch. If I wanted to punch somebody, I'd have to be relatively close to them. If I wanted to shoot somebody with a gun, I would have to be in a, you know, a, a reasonable proximity to them if I wanted my bullet to hit my target. Same thing can be said with bombs, missiles. And of course, we can do amazing things uh, with you know, these technological instruments these days. Let's just think about the tongue. Let's just think about words. I can say something right now. In a matter of minutes, the information that I spewed out of my mouth can show up in China. Because we have something called social media now. It has changed everything. It hasn't changed the fact that the tongue has always been a very dangerous entity and a very uh, destructive measure, but... Let's just think about how easy it is to be tempted to use this tongue. As they say sometimes, everybody's a tough guy behind a computer screen. And because I have social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you want to call, maybe you don't have anything to do with any of these social medias, but the things that you say can be put on that different application and be spread to the wider world. It's a dangerous, and you know, we talk about hundreds of years ago how, you know, how the tongue was a dangerous entity. Today it's even more so, because at least you know a few hundred years ago, before we had technology, you could say some things, and it might take a while for it to travel. It might eventually get there, but now it's literally like overnight, and, 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 or yesterday it used to be overnight. Today it's like a matter of hours, or a matter of you know, you know, 15 minutes or so. And so there's a psalm that says in Psalm 79, verse 3, it's a very... I think, pertinent psalm to what we're talking about. They set their mouth against the heavens. This is talking about the evil ones, the unrighteous. And their tongue walks through the earth. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Let's just think about, talking about the forest fires, rumors. How easy for there to be a rumor to take place, and how fast it can spread. whether it's true or not true. Let's think about the consequences of such rumors. I mean, people can lose their jobs. People can be... Uh, you know, for you know, for whatever reason, the reputations completely run. And I can tell you, for a fact that I know, that actual businesses, whenever they consider employers today, oftentimes will go to the social media and look to see if they can find. And of course, it's not just social media; it can be. I'm talking about any different way that we talk to people. But I know for a fact that uh, talking with people at my employer, that they in fact do look at social media when they consider a potential employee. Uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, someone that they want to hire. That they look, hey, does this person have a Facebook page? Does this person have a Twitter page? Let's go on and see. What are the kinds of things that they say on that? Would they be, you know, a good addition? I mean, if you, obviously, it's, it's a way that people can see, hey, do we want to hire this individual? Because it sounds like they talk pretty bad. You know, they, they, when they're on their social media, they just kind of, you know, they talk vulgar, they, you know, they're not going to be a good representation of our business. Or of our company. And so, social media has definitely changed the game. But let's go ahead and end on what James has to say in the last string of passages here. Verse 8 through 12. Verse 8 through 12. And let's just go ahead and read that again. Let's just go ahead and read that again. Verse 8 says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. For with it we bless our God the Father, and with it we curse men. Who have been made in the similitude of God out of the same mouth perceive blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought to not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. And so, with this, I want us to just think about what the tongue is able to do. The tongue, as James tells us, is able to bless and curse. And he gives an example of you know, the tongue being able to you know, liken to... You know, does, a, does a spring you know, proceed to produce fresh water and bitter water? No, that's against nature. And it should be against the Christian nature to bless and curse. And examples of what the tongue can do. The tongue can be used to build up. The tongue can be used to cut down. The tongue can be used to testify to the truth... And the tongue can be used to slander. You know, there's this old saying that goes around oftentimes. And I've probably said it in my past. And maybe you agree with it. But I would like for you to reconsider your position on it if you do. And that is, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is actually pretty uh, argued against in in the Bible. Now of course, sticks and stones might be able to bring physical damage to one person, but words can hurt individuals, and particularly, words can help hurt yourself. And so Matthew the 15 chapter, verse 11, 17 through 20, Jesus says, "And much of the, past, much of the things that James have to say uh, has to do with what Jesus taught. Matthew, the 15th chapter, verse 11, says, Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Continuing on in verse 17, Do you not yet understand whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And there's even another passage where Jesus says that by your words you shall be justified. And by your words you shall be condemned. And Matthew the 12th chapter. So in conclusion, I just want to say that when it comes to things we say, whether it be social media, whether it be among each other, we can support our leaders we should support our leaders. We can pray for our leaders and the decisions that they have to make. We can disagree with each other. We can vote if we choose to vote. We can give opinions and guidance. But one thing we must do, one thing outside of all these different things that we must make sure that we are doing is that our speech With each other, with our neighbor, and with our fellow human being is an accurate representation of the glory of the one who lives inside us and who we have been given stewardship to represent.